I hear constantly as I sit in church sermons and as I watch Christian television this concept that if you follow Jesus, if you let him into your heart, then you'll be okay. That you will have health, that you will have wealth, that you will have success, that everything will go okay. But I want to tell you this morning that that is not the reality of life. And there are many Christians out there who are suffering sickness, who are going broke, whose families are falling apart, who are really struggling. Well, I want to tell you that this morning's message is for you. So hold on tight, follow with us in the Bible, and I pray that you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you give us in this free country to study the Bible. And I would like to pray this morning that your presence will be very strongly amongst us, opening minds and leading us to the truth. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer. We pray in your precious and your holy name. Amen. I've entitled this Bible study this morning, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? It's a good question, isn't it? In fact, it's a penetrating question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I would like to start off with a text from the Bible. It's found in Habakkuk, just a little book toward the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And Habakkuk, who was a minor prophet, says these words which resound down through the annals of time to us today. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Listen this morning to what Habakkuk has to say to you. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and though there are no grapes on the grapevines, though the olive crop fails and the fields fail to produce food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, listen to what Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Habakkuk says, though there be entire devastation, he's talking about crop failure. He's talking about total crop failure. You're talking about famine, devastation for ancient Israel where Habakkuk lived, like we possibly would not understand today. He's talking about famine. He's talking about the flocks and failure in the sheep and the cattle. He's talking about a devastation that really means a total annihilation of himself and the people he lives with. And he's saying, look, though all these things happen, though all these bad things befall me, yet I will hold on to God. I will not let go. Habakkuk is saying, I don't serve God because he blesses me. I don't serve God because my fields are, are full of food, because my cattle yards are full of cattle, because my bank is full of money. Habakkuk saying, I serve God because he is God. And though I lose everything on this earth, Habakkuk says, I will serve God. This idea of serving God because he is God is not an entirely popular concept in contemporary, modern-day Christianity. I watch a lot of Christian television, and I see on my television some of the greatest preachers in contemporary Christianity today. And they preach to vast audiences of thousands and thousands of people. 
And one of the things that disturbs me, and I'll tell you this morning, it disturbs me immensely, is the fact that so many Christian pastors are getting up the front, in front of worldwide audiences, and they are saying, if you follow God, if you invite Jesus into your heart, if you surrender yourself to him, if you start going to church, if you become a Christian, they are preaching and they are preaching powerfully. If you do all these things, then God will bless you. He will bless your bank account. If you are going broke, become a Christian. God will make you rich. That theme is running through television, Christian television programs from one end of the Western world to the other. They're saying, look, follow God. You will have good health. You will have a happy marriage. Nothing bad will happen to you if you're on your knees and if you've got God in your heart, then you will be successful. The problem is it's not reality. Many Christians follow God. They're not rich. They're not wealthy. They're not necessarily healthy. And they're not even necessarily all that successful. But they follow God. So this theology of success, if you follow Jesus Christ, has some very, very big problems with it. I remember I was working in New Zealand just a few years ago, and I had a good friend in New Zealand. His name was Dougie. We went to college together here in Australia. He was a Kiwi here in Australia studying. I was an Australian. We were in the same college together studying different subjects, different courses, different degrees, but we became fast mates. He lived three doors down from where I was living in the dormitories. Well, when I went back to New Zealand, this would have been, I guess, six, seven years after I'd graduated, I caught up with Dougie again. Oh, we had a good time together. He's one of the most positive, friendly, fun guys to be around I have ever met. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, one Friday night. I was going to bed, I was talking quietly to my wife, as you do, just before you turn the light off and go to sleep, and it was late. It was a Friday night and it was late. And I got a phone call, and it was Dougie's brother. And he said, Lloyd, I've got terrible news. He said, this afternoon, Dougie's been involved in a car accident, and he's died. I remember that just rocked me. Well, the next day, which was a Sabbath, I went to church, and then that Saturday night, I was on my way down because it, was, it fell to me to bury Dougie. I was on my way down to where he lived at Tauranga. And it kept going through my mind, how could this terrible thing happen to Dougie and his family? He hadn't been married all that long. He had three children who were under five, and I had to take the funeral. He served God with all his heart. In fact, I've got to tell you that I probably haven't met any Christian on this planet who walks closer to Jesus than did Dougie. And I'm crying out to the Lord, this man served you. How could you let him die? He was under 30 years of age. Three children, under five. He had a thriving business. He was successful. His wife and his family and his church and his community needed him. Lord, I cried out, Lord, how could you let it happen? And the question I have this morning to you, is how could Dougie, who served Jesus Christ with all his heart and soul, how could God let a good man 
die and leave that family to fend for itself. If you decide to follow Jesus, follow the theology of many contemporary preachers today. Follow it with me for a moment. If you decide to follow Jesus, then how is it that such terrible things could come to you when all the time we are hearing that if you follow God, you will be blessed, you will have success, and nothing bad will ever happen to you again. I want to tell you this morning that theology, that concept is a nonsense. It's a nonsense and it's not true. And as I prepared that funeral, I was confronted over and over with the question, how come? Bad things happen to good people who follow Jesus Christ. I wish that I could stand before you this morning and give you a good answer to that question. It's a very difficult one. But I'll do my best to let the Bible for a few moments today answer this very important question. How can bad things happen to good people who follow Jesus? I don't know whether you realise or not, I don't know whether you recognise this or not, but our world is in the middle of a war. It's a savage war between light and darkness. On one side you have Jesus Christ, you have God, the ruler of the universe, and on the other side you have the devil, you have Satan, you have the ruler of darkness. He's a ruler of nothing except darkness and evil and pain and tragedy. And like all wars, this war has casualties. And sometimes we, even us who follow Jesus Christ, who follow God, who call ourselves Christians, can be casualties in this war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between Jesus and God. And I want to, I want to present to you this morning, and I want you to think about it, I want to challenge you with the fact that perhaps Dougie, who served Jesus Christ, who had him in his heart, who was walking with him, perhaps he got caught up in the war as you and I are, and perhaps as painful as it is to, to even contemplate, He was a casualty of this war between light and darkness. Now, hold that thought for a moment because I want to unpack it just a little more with you. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ezekiel, another Old Testament prophet. I want to tell you a little bit about this war this morning. Ezekiel chapter 28, chapter 28, verse 13 through to 17. This is what God has to say about this war between good and evil, between Jesus and Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13, well really verse verses 12 and a half through to 17. This is what God has to say about Lucifer, about Satan, about the arch villain on the side of darkness. He says, and he's talking about Satan, perhaps not too long after God had created him. He's in heaven. This is what God has to say about him. You, O Lucifer, were the model of perfection. You were full of wisdom and you were perfect in your beauty. Oh, he was a magnificent angel of God. He says, you were in the garden, every the garden of heaven, every precious stone adorned you. And then it lists them, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. He must have been something to look at. Beautiful, strong, big. When you looked at him, he looked like shining jewels. Your settings were made of gold. On the day you were created, you were, the Bible says, perfect. Now listen to this. The Bible says you, Lucifer, were anointed as the guardian angel 
For God says, I ordained you to that. The Bible says you were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Lucifer, Lucifer, this magnificent, beautiful angel, stood by the throne of God. He was the covering angel. In other words, uh, his, uh, his wing covered the throne of God. He saw the beings from all around the universe come and fall and worship before God. He was the most honoured of all the angels. The Bible says he was, was the, the most powerful. He was the most beautiful. He was the leader of the armies of God. And the Bible says, until wickedness was found in him. How could Lucifer, the most beautiful, the most powerful, the most honoured of all the angels, fall from God? Well, it's an interesting story, and the Bible tells us that too. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. Listen to this, this as the story goes on. How, and this is God speaking, how you have fallen from heaven... O Lucifer, morning star, you've been cast down to the earth, you who lay the the nations low. You said in your heart, and this was the problem. You see, he's standing by the throne of God. He's seeing all the beings from right around the universe worship God. And there must be, I don't know, millions, billions, I don't know, of planets, perhaps trillions. As my little daughter would say, gazillions of other Beings that God has created in this huge universe of ours. And as they would come before God and worship him, the leaders of all these different planets, Lucifer, standing next to God, saw it. And if you, as you read the Bible, there's no doubt that he starts, he starts to covet it because it says, you said, this is Lucifer, this is God talking about Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So Lucifer begins to move amongst the other angels. And he begins, and we don't know exactly how it happened because we're not told, but he begins to talk. Oh, he says, why shouldn't... I be receiving worship like God does. What's wrong with me? I am the most beautiful angel that God has ever created. I am the wisest. I, says Lucifer, I, I, I am the commander of heaven's armies. Why shouldn't I receive worship just as God does? And as Lucifer begins to plant these seeds of doubt amongst the other angels, some of them, oh, it's unbelievable, but some of them begin to listen. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation 12 that a third of the angels joined in this rebellion with Lucifer. What happens now is extremely interesting and we pick up the story in Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12 verse 7 to 9 because the Bible says that war broke out in heaven. Michael or Jesus and that's who Michael is. Jesus and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. So you've got open war in heaven between two thirds of the angels and Jesus and a third of the angels and the devil. 
Well, Lucifer can go up against his maker, he can go up against his designer, against his creator, but he was never going to win this war. Because of what the Bible says in verse 8, Lucifer was not strong enough. And he and his angels, they lost their place in heaven. And then verse 9 says, The dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Lucifer starts a rebellion. A third of the angels join in the rebellion. Jesus and two-thirds of the angels are forced to deal with that rebellion. There is an open war. We don't know how they fought. We don't know whether there was weapons. We don't even know how physical it was. But we do know this. Satan and his angels were defeated and they were cast out of heaven and they ended up on earth. Tragedy of tragedies. You get a feeling that planet earth was the jewel in all of God's creation. Here you have a planet designed by Jesus himself, created in six days, and that's how long it took the earth to be created by Jesus, and that's a fact. Designed in six days by Jesus himself, and he puts two two beings on this earth that are created in his image. And Satan comes to the earth, and there is a simple test. You see, God wants people to follow him because they want to do it. Not because I'll be blessed, or not because I'll lose eternity, their eternal life. If they don't, he wants people to love him because he's God. And I've got to tell you that my experience says that if you get to know God, if you get to know Jesus, and if you will give him a chance to come into your heart, this is my experience, then you can't help but fall in love with him. I want to tell you that you, when you meet Jesus, and you realise how lovely he is, and you recognise what he can do for you, there's nothing that you won't do for him. Oh, Jesus is beautiful. He does change your life. I don't serve Jesus this morning, though, because he's going to take me to heaven one day. Uh-uh. I serve Jesus because it's so wonderful to have him in my heart and it's so wonderful to walk with him on this earth. And if there was no eternity and if there was no heaven, God forbid, I would still walk with Jesus Christ. It is a pleasure to know him. It is an honour to have him in my life and in my heart. And Jesus set a simple test. He wanted Adam and Eve to follow him just for the pleasure of it just because he's so beautiful to be with. And he set up a simple test. He puts a tree in the garden. I want to tell you this morning that God always has a test for you when he's calling you to follow him. And you make a choice whether or not you will go with Jesus. You make the same choice those angels did so many thousands of years ago in heaven. You either follow Jesus or you choose to follow Lucifer. This was a simple test. A tree in the garden, God said, don't eat it. One tree of all the beautiful trees in the garden, and God says, don't eat the fruit from this tree. So what happens? Let's pick this story up quickly. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent, of course, is Satan. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Simple test. What happens? Verse 4. Satan begins to lie. He says, you will not surely die. You see, Satan is trying to involve the world in his rebellion. All the other planets had rejected him. Finally, he's to the last planet, planet Earth. You will not surely die, he said to the woman. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, oh, ways of Satan are always pleasing to the eye. And desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate and then she gave some to her husband who ate it with her. Then their eyes were both opened and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The world fell. We joined the rebellion and the war started. And since that day, and it is a fact, the story is true, since that day that Eve ate of that fruit and shared it with her husband Adam, we have been going through tragedy, we have been going through trauma, we have been going through heartache and sadness. And that's how bad things happen to good people. We're in the middle of a war. Who says, who says that because you follow Jesus, good things have got to happen to you? You're in a war. In fact, you follow Jesus, you're going to have Satan come down on you heavier, heavier than you had before you made a decision to follow Christ. In fact, I've seen many times, and I've been doing this job for almost 20 years, bringing people to Jesus. I've seen many times people make a decision to follow Christ, and things actually get worse. They may lose jobs. They may have terrible pressure with a spouse who is resisting their call to follow the Lord. They might go broke. These are people who are following Jesus. They might lose their health. There are, are no, there are no guarantees of success and wealth and health if you follow Jesus. And anyone else who tells you such thing, they are speaking nonsense and they are leading you away from the truth. There are no guarantees. In fact, the Bible in Romans 8.22 says the whole of creation groans with the pain of the war that we're involved with, like it or not. Look at life and look at the reality of it. Dougie died. His brother, who just happens to be my best friend, his brother is a millionaire. And happily married with three children. Work that out. Why Dougie and not Ronald? Well, have a look at the church in Australia. It is wealthy. Beautiful churches, beautiful seats to sit in, air-conditioned, lovely carpet. We have everything here in this country. And yet you can go to the Philippines or PNG or Africa and you see Christians living in abject poverty. Are you telling me? That here in Australia we're better Christians than they are, so God blesses us and yet he doesn't bless them. It doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense because this idea, this theology of success, if you follow the Lord, is false. That's not true. I could go on and on this morning. I am healthy. My best friend died when she, one of my best friends died. When she was only 19 years old, she died in a road accident. But did you know before she died, she had cancer? A few days before she died, she rang me up. She said, Lloyd, I've got a party. This coming Saturday night, you've got to come. I was a young man. She was a young woman. We we're great mates. You've got to come. I want to celebrate the fact that the doctors have just cleared me. Praise God, she said. I've been praying about it. A miracle has happened. I've been cleared of cancer. Thursday, I got a phone call from her family. Three days, three days before, three days before the party, telling me she had died in a car accident. 
And here I am, 43 years of old, healthy, two kids, happy marriage, good church that I worship and, and serve in, a great life. Work it out. You're telling me that I'm more spiritual than she was? It doesn't make sense. In fact, to me, it seems so indiscriminate that some people suffer and others don't. In fact, it almost seems unfair. Unfair, unfair, Lord. Except, 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 except we are in a war. Don't forget it. We are in a war. And if you follow Jesus, there are no guarantees of health. There are no guarantees of wealth. There are no guarantees of success. There are no guarantees of anything except... Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. I want to leave you with the only guarantee I can give you. Never, says Jesus. Never will I leave you. Never, says Jesus. Never, says Jesus, will I forsake you. That's the only guarantee you get from God in the Bible. You're in a war. You may get sick. Jesus will not leave you. You may die. Jesus will not leave you. Oh, it means something to be on your deathbed and know that Jesus is in your heart, by your side, carrying you through that great challenge in life. You can go bankrupt. Jesus says, I will not leave you. You can get divorced. And what a tragedy it is if your husband or your wife leaves you and you want them to stay. The Bible says they may not, but Jesus will. You can lose your job, your whole life can fall apart. Jesus says, I will not. He says, I promise, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Isaiah 49 verse 13, Jesus says, I will come and I will comfort you. Isaiah 51 verse 12, he says, I am there for you even though you may be afflicted. Jesus said, no matter what happens to you in life, he said, I know you are in a war. I know you are in the middle of a tragedy. He said, I know you will suffer. He said, I can't guarantee you a good life on this earth. But he says, while you go through this life on this earth, I will walk by your side. I will put my arms around you. I will carry you when I have to. You can guarantee one thing, says Jesus. You let me into your heart. He says, I will never leave you. He says, I will never forsake you. And that's why Habakkuk could say in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Though the crops fail, though all my herds of sheep and cattle die, he could say, even though I starve and face death itself, I will serve you. Why did Habakkuk serve God? Because he knew that no matter what happened to him, Jesus would never leave him or forsake him. So I can't promise you as a preacher of the gospel, as a pastor of the word, I cannot promise you this morning riches. Oh, I can't promise you health or even success in business. I can't even promise you a happy marriage. I, I wish all these things upon you. I hope they happen to you. It makes life a lot easier on this planet. But I can't promise it to you. And many of you out there are not experiencing it right now. But the one thing I can promise you is Jesus Christ. Bad things are going to happen to you whether you follow Jesus or not. You let Jesus into your life. You let Jesus into your heart. Then as those bad things happen, you've got a big God walking by your side, carrying you through. That is my experience. And I pray it will be your experience too. God bless. As we have seen in today's Bible study, in today's teaching, Satan is the reason for all the heartache, the sickness, the tragedy and the pain in this world. He's the reason for the pain and the heartache and the tragedy you may be suffering. But Jesus is the answer.
as I sat in that funeral of my good mate Dougie and I looked down at his wife and his three little children. I see the tears running down their face. They're going through an unspeakable horror. I also saw on that sad day Jesus come into the church and put his arms around them and comfort them like nobody else could. And that's what I'm trying to share with you this morning. Jesus will be with you through the pain of this life. Listen, you may not, you probably won't have wealth. You may not have great success. You may not have all that happy a life. But if you have Jesus, Jesus by your side, then no matter what Satan and the world throw at you, you will be okay because Jesus has the ability to take you, to carry you through. Oh, I can wish you this morning health. I can wish you wealth and I do wish you wealth. I do wish you success. I hope you experience all these things. I can't guarantee it. But if I could wish you anything this morning, I want to wish you Jesus Christ. He is the answer what you've got to face in this world that you live in. God bless you. you.